Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is a reading of God's word. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you. I was up on the mountain, came back last night with uh, the other men from the church, the men's retreat. Uh, they're having a great time up there. I hated coming back, to be honest. Uh, it's so beautiful up there, but we'll, I'll tell you more about that during the announcements. The online uh, satirical newspaper, The Babylon Bee, had the uh, following headline recently, Local Woman Hopes Husband Listened Closely to Pastor's Sermon on Self-Righteousness. This is how the article goes. Local woman, Lisa Whittaker, told sources on Sunday she hopes her husband, James, listened closely to their pastor's sermon on self-righteousness. The sermon taken from Matthew 7 centered around Jesus' famous exhortation to remove the log from one's own eye before pointing out the speck in someone else's. As soon as the pastor began preaching, Lisa knew the message was perfectly suited for her husband, sources confirmed. Lisa stated she believes the pastor specifically wrote the sermon with James in mind. As the pastor glanced in James' direction several times during the message, James really needs to examine himself, she explained. Isn't that the point of the passage? Examine yourself before you criticize others. I told him many times to do that, but he won't. Honestly, if he would just listen to me, things would go well for him. Maybe the pastor can get through to him, but I doubt it, she sighed. Lisa was also heard thanking God, uh, thanking God that she regularly reads her Bible, always listens carefully to sermons, and is not stiff-necked and prideful like her husband. At publishing time, sources had confirmed, or further confirmed that her husband was really hoping his proud wife had listened carefully to the sermon and taken it to heart. <laughs> Uh, And, you know, unfortunately, it's so true, and uh, that's why that's uh, funny, because it just displays how um, insidious and and hard self-righteousness is to see at times in ourselves, easy to see in others. The same with boasting. You know, all of us uh, despise boasting. I think in our culture, we despise boastful people, Uh, people who excessively brag about their accomplishments or their abilities. Uh, We even despise humble bragging. 
right? Humble bragging, that's bragging that's subtly masked as uh, humble, uh, self-deprecating, things like this. Uh, For someone to say, I'm so shocked my new book is a bestseller. Uh, Why do I always get asked to work on the most important assignments? Or complaints, like I've got nothing to wear after losing 25 pounds. Or perhaps, I hate that I look so young that even 19-year-olds hit on me. Humble bragging. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, I think, really has encouraged a form of bragging and boasting. It's become socially acceptable. I mean, think about it. The, po- the pictures you see on social media basically are, are saying, I'm at the World Series game and you're not. <laughs> I'm eating at this wonderful restaurant, having this amazing meal, and you're eating macaroni and cheese at home. I've got kids who win awards, and you don't. I'm on vacation at this exclusive resort, and you're not. I mean, it's a form of bragging and boasting, but it's acceptable. It's become socially acceptable. And I think that's why we be, we're so miserable when we look at other people's lives and see them boasting about these wonderful things that they're doing. And we would never actually be friends with a person who would say this verbally, but it's okay for them to post it and to be virtual friends. And I think often we, we judge boastful people. And we try to explain it. We say things like, you know, well, they boast a lot. They brag a lot because they have low self-esteem. Or they're boastful because, you know, they're desperate for attention. We come up with all sorts of reasons to explain why someone would feel the need to speak so boastfully about what they've accomplished, who they know, how much money they've acquired. And the reality is we shouldn't be so surprised when we run into people who are boastful Because the truth is, all of us, all of us are boastful to some degree, I think, if we're honest. I mean, few of us say it out loud, but the rest of us have been socially trained to to just say it to ourselves. I I mean, uh, inwardly, I think we boast about a lot of things. David Sedaris is an author and a comedian. You've probably often heard him on NPR. Uh, He described an experience on an airplane when he was sitting next to a woman, and she asked him if he would trade seats with her husband, who was up towards the front of the airplane. Now, Sedaris hates sitting at the bulkhead row, and he said no. And, of course, the woman condemned him for being an awful human being for not switching with her husband. Uh, And Sedaris immediately was thinking to himself, no, 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 I'm a good person. I support public radio. (laughs) You know, he had his list of things, and of course it's humorous, and, and it's funny because we all do that. We have our list of things that we turn to to, to justify ourselves, uh, to prove that we're somebody, that we're decent, that we're basically good people. And it's this kind of boasting, I think, is what Paul is getting at. And, and really, Paul addresses many times in his letters We could go to the book of Romans. Uh, Several times in Romans, Paul addresses this idea of boasting in our works. Uh, In Romans 3, he says it this way. He says, then what becomes of our boasting, our spiritual boasting, so to speak, boasting of our record before God? He says it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith 
apart from works of the law. Now, he also in chapter 4 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he, was something to, he has something to boast about, but not before God. His whole point is that there was a crew of uh, people who would justify themselves in their ability to obey the law of God. And Paul says, no, it's by faith. That's how you're justified. It's, it's by faith. And, of course, in Philippians 3, Paul there talks about his resume. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, if you think you have reason to boast, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And here in our passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to specifically this morning talk about verses 8 to 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this is one of the beautiful summary passages of the gospel. If someone were to ask you, what is Christianity all about? What is the message? What is the good news? There's several verses or passages we might turn to. For example, one of the more famous ones is John 3.16. You've heard of it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Famous passage. A very good passage you could turn to to explain the message of Christianity. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is another great summary. Memorize it. Memorize it. And if somebody asks you, hey, why are you a Christian? That's a good one to turn to. Now, believe it or not, some people think religious people are judgmental and prideful and boastful. You may not know that, but it's true. Uh, now, we have a reputation for being boastful people. But I think with Paul here, Paul is addressing this tendency we have as religious people. And we tend to think of zealots in this way. People, Christians who are extremely judgmental or boastful. But I realized when I was preparing this sermon... That boasting is a lot like self-righteousness, and that's why I use that illustration at the beginning. It's sneaky. And if I'm honest, in my heart, I can be boastful because I'm not like those boastful people. <laughs> See, it, get, it gets us. We can become prideful because we're not prideful. And so my goal this morning is to try to connect the dots for you because it would be easy for all of us to dismiss Paul's argument or not think it applies to us because we don't think of ourselves as boastful people. And I want to tell you this morning, he's speaking to you, whether you realize it or not. Now, let's do a, a thought experiment here. I want you to imagine two types of people have died and they're trying to get into heaven. And let's imagine this first type of person is obviously a boastful person. They're standing there before God and God asks them, why should I let you in? And this person starts to lay out their resume. They have their resume ready for God. They hand it over. God, look, 
I gave more than 10% of my money to the church. I had perfect attendance. I attended a small group. I had my uh, quiet time every day. I rescued two dogs and three cats. I, uh, you know, one thing after another, a whole list of good deeds that they've done, boasting in those before God. So that person, we would say, yeah, they're a boastful, prideful person. They're relying on their works to get into heaven. And that's what Paul's speaking against here. Now, let's take a second scenario, a second type of person, which takes a different, this person takes a different approach. God asks them, okay, why should I let you in? This person says, well, you know, God, I've messed up uh, often in my life. I know I've done a lot of bad things. I, I know I've messed up and made mistakes. I know, you know, that I, I'm not a perfect person. But you know, God, I, I've tried. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried my best. And so in the end, you know, I, it's, up, it's up to you, but I hope you'll see that I really was sincere. Now, is that person boastful? I would argue that the second person, while displaying humility, is still the type of example Paul's speaking to and speaking against in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. I would argue that Paul indeed would say that person is boasting in their works. They're boasting in their sincerity. They're boasting in their Desire to rely on their good intentions. Trusting in their own efforts. But remember Paul's words here in verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. This passage speaks to the heart of the gospel. The good news, it's about what God has done, not your good intentions. And that's what's unique about the Christian faith, friends. If you want to know what makes Christianity different, it's right here. Most other religions offer you a path to follow, to attain, to achieve, to arrive at salvation at enlightenment, not so with Christianity. Not so with Christianity. In order to understand Paul's point, we need to remind ourselves what Paul had previously said in the verses leading up to verses 8 and 9. We talked about two weeks ago, the first couple of verses here in chapter 2. Remember what we said. Paul's point was, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how our spiritual deadness impacts our ability to please and love God. We can't. We're born into the state of what we talked about, total depravity. Not that we're as bad as we could be, but that sin has impacted us completely throughout in our mind, in our heart, in our actions. That we're naturally dead, spiritually dead. We're like zombies, the illustration that we use. That we're numb and allergic to God. And because of this, 
We're by nature children of wrath, meaning God rightfully can judge us before his law. And what is his law? His law is to love him with your whole being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And each and every person in this room, we're born condemned. We're born into this world condemned before that law. Born enemies to God. That's Paul's message here. And that's at the heart of what grace is. Remember, let me read it again. What does he say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. To get to the heart of what Paul's saying, you've got to understand what grace is. What does he mean when he says grace? This word grace means God's favor. God's warm affection, God's love for us. And the way that many Christians have tried to define it is they've defined it this way. They said grace is unmerited favor, meaning you've done nothing. Remember, not by works, not your own doing, unmerited favor. Now, I would argue, and others have argued, That grace is even more radical than unmerited favor, it's demerited favor. And I'll use this illustration to to drive home this point. This week, Olivia and I celebrated 21 years of marriage. Come on, David. I'll take it, I'll take it. Uh, I'm not boasting. (laughs) But we went went to dinner, we went to a nice place. Now imagine, we have this wonderful meal, and... It was not cheap. It was at a steakhouse. It was really nice. Now, imagine, stranger, the, the waiter brings the bill and tells me, Mr. Mather, I'd, I'm pleased to tell you that this gentleman over here, he decided to pay your bill. Now, that's unmerited favor, right? That, I, I'm thankful. I'm humbled. That's amazing. You paid my bill. That's, that's great. Now, what the Bible, I would argue with the Bible, the way that grace is described is a little different. Imagine that same man. Before paying my bill, I walked by his table. I saw him. I recognized him. I don't like him. And he's got a nice bowl of soup. And I walk by and I hawk this big old loogie right into his soup. And I just walk to my table. And he, pays, he still pays my bill. That is demerited favor. <laughs> that is grace to the 10th degree. And that is the kind of grace Paul's talking about. The kind of grace God has displayed to us. I'm more than humbled. I'm more than thankful that this man who I despise and who I've wronged, would pay my bill. That kind of grace, my friends, devastates me. It totally unravels my heart. It transforms me. Because I know in no way did I deserve that kind of grace. And that's the kind of difference Paul wants you to see in the kind of grace God has shown to those who are in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. 
And this is why Paul can say it's a gift. It truly is a gift. There is nothing you do to earn it. In fact, you've done plenty, plenty to be condemned. Because being a good and sincere person doesn't cut it. Now notice what Paul says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, could we not argue that faith is a type of work? Is faith a type of work? Isn't faith a decision? And isn't it the decision to trust and believe that Jesus will save you? Now, this is where our theology at King's might differ from some of our other brothers and sisters in the faith at other churches. Now, we read this passage in Ephesians 2. It leads us to see faith simply as an instrument by which we receive the gift of salvation. Faith is the open hand held out before Jesus, and he puts the gift of salvation in my hand. That's all it is. And the only way that I know to open my hand to receive the gift is if God opens my eyes. If God opens my eyes in the first place. Remember, Paul had said we're spiritually dead. Now, within Christian circles, this is referred to as a Calvinist perspective of salvation. I'm going to do a little history here. Uh, Calvin uh, was a very influential 16th century theologian, and he argued this case when it comes to faith and salvation and being dead spiritually and what it means that God has saved us. And we here at King's Church hold this perspective, and we believe Paul here in Ephesians 2 is a proponent that Calvin's getting it from Paul. Now, however, many other Christians hold to what historically might be referred to as an Arminian perspective, and this comes from a theologian named Jacob Arminius, and Arminius actually argued against Calvin. Arminius believed that while we're spiritually dead, we're not totally dead. You see, Arminius believed that there's a part of you, there's a glimmer of spiritual life in each and every person. And that, that glimmer of spiritual life allows you to choose Christ, to choose Jesus. Take this illustration. I'm using a lot of illustrations this morning. Imagine you're in the ocean treading water, you and five other people, treading water, swimming in the ocean, swimming there. And along comes Jesus in a boat. And Jesus throws a life preserver to the group. And there you are treading water. And Jesus says, grab on. I'll pull you in and save you. Trust me. And you see your circumstance. You're treading water. There's no land in sight. You see that this is your only way to salvation. And so you grab hold. Jesus pulls you into the boat and saves you. Now that's what, that's what I would say is an Arminian understanding of salvation by faith. But Calvin would have understood it, or Calvinists would understand this scenario differently. I won't be so bold to say Calvin would agree with my illustration, but I will say I, I think Calvinists would put it this way. Remember Paul's words, you're dead. 
I, I see it, that you and your five companions are laying on the bottom of the ocean floor. You're dead. And along comes Christ. He jumps in the water and he grabs your dead corpse, brings you up into the boat and breathes life into you. That, I believe, is what Paul is telling us here. When he says, through grace, you've been saved. By grace, through faith, in Christ. It's not your own doing. It's a gift. He has saved you. Now, many Christians today hold an Arminian perspective, and some of you here hold that perspective. And I'm going to say something presumptuous right now, so bear with me. I don't believe, we can argue after the service, but I don't believe you can consistently hold an Arminian perspective on salvation and at the same time agree with Paul's argument here in, in Ephesians 2, 8-9. Let me explain. Because in the illustration with Jesus, the lifeboat, ultimately, what saved you? Now, you could say, well, Jesus did. He threw the life preserver, pulled me into the boat. Jesus saved me. And I would say, okay, yeah, you're right. Jesus saved you. But why did Jesus save you and not somebody else? And, of course, it's because of your decision. You had the awareness. You saw your circumstances. And you saw, unlike the other people, that this was your way to salvation. And so you grabbed hold of the life preserver and Jesus pulled you in. Now, I, I would argue that's a reason to boast. I would argue that you could say, I had the awareness, other people didn't, so I was saved. Now, the reality is most of my brothers and sisters in the faith who hold an Arminian perspective would never boast about that. They would, you know, if you asked them, why are you a Christian? They wouldn't say, uh, it's because I was smarter than everybody else. They would say, God saved me. And if I said, did you do anything to deserve it? They would say, absolutely not. And they would be humble about it. They're, they're very humble. And I'm thankful for their humility. I would just say they're not consistent. Take this example. Flu shot. This is a flu shot time of year, right? Um, let's say, you know, you see signs everywhere. Every, signs everywhere, get a flu shot. Many of you have gotten a flu shot. Let's say I don't get a flu shot. And what do you do when you get a flu shot? You don't do a lot. You just go in there, hold your arm out, give you a shot. Now, let's say I don't get a flu shot, and I get the flu. What are you going to say to me? You should have gotten a flu shot. You deserve it. And you would say, man, I'm so thankful I was smart enough to get a flu shot. Now, is that a reason to boast? Certainly. Certainly. You could boast. You were smarter than me. You got the flu shot. That's a reason to boast. But I would argue that Paul's saying, no, 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 no. No, no, you're dead. God is the one who saves, not your decision, not your faith. Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. This is why in, in John 6, uh, Jesus says this in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Notice in Acts 16, well, how does it describe Lydia coming to faith? Uh, Lydia, this woman, uh, seller of purple goods, is a worshiper of, of God. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In other words, her heart was closed before, but God opened it. 
God's the one who did it. And of course, Jesus in John 3 and talking to Nicodemus, how do you enter the kingdom of God? What does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love this illustration of being born again because when a baby is born, what, what choice does the baby have? What decision does the baby make to be born into the world? This happens to the child. The child comes into the world and their eyes are opened and life happens. And I think Jesus is making a similar illustration. One way this is described is the elect are not born again because they believe. Rather, they believe because they are born again by the Spirit of God. Another illustration we can use, we think of Jesus with Lazarus. When Jesus is standing at the, at the grave of Lazarus at the tomb, this dead man has been in the tomb for several days. Jesus doesn't come up to this man and say, Lazarus, come on. It's your choice. It's your decision. You're going to come or not? I'm here to save you. It's up to you. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Jesus breathes life into him. And Lazarus responds. Because the power of God, because the life that Jesus breathed into him. And this is what Paul wants to get across for us this morning. I think you might, you might say, well, so what's the point? The point is for you to see, to you to see what God has given you in Christ, for you to be humbled, to praise him, to give him all the glory for what he has done in saving you and for you to realize that you are just one beggar offering other beggars where to find food. It is intended to humble us as God's people and not to look out at the world and think we're better than anyone because we have no resume to stand on when it comes to why Jesus saved us. It wasn't my smarts. It wasn't because I was smarter than anyone else. Jesus grabbed hold of me. He breathed life into me. And he looked at me in the eye and said, Jason, follow me. And I was like, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord. Now here's, if I can humbly say, where Calvinists are inconsistent in our theology. Is oftentimes we come across as very prideful, arrogant. So Calvinists, unfortunately, can be inconsistent in their theology as well. And this is where we need to be reminded. We need, we need to hear the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Remind us we have no reason to boast. It is in Christ that we boast. For he is the one who has saved us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what it teaches us about our salvation. About how you have raised us to new life. And I pray that as we meditate on this, as we wrestle with it, Jesus, that this truth would begin to devastate us, unravel our hearts, that we would despair of looking to our own righteousness, despair of looking at anything we could do, Lord, 
to earn your favor and for us to know and live as people who are deeply loved. May you give us that gift this morning, we pray. Amen.